John chapter 5 and verse 38. John chapter 5 and verse 38. And ye have not his word abiding in you. Is the truth of Scripture abiding in our hearts? The Lord here is addressing the Jews who are plotting his murder. Yet, they are men who profess to love God and to revere the Scriptures. So whilst they engage in the public reading of scripture in the synagogues and claim to believe the writings of Moses and the prophets, the truth of scripture was not in fact abiding in their hearts. So the Lord Jesus Christ is telling these most religious of people Ye have not God's word abiding in you. And so we are confronted here with the very real phenomenon of people thinking that they are true believers when they are no such thing. The Lord clearly links faith in himself here with the reception of biblical truth into the heart. So we can never divorce true Christian faith from believing the scriptures. To be a Christian, you must believe all the Bible and its words must abide in your heart. It is quite possible, however, to profess to be a Christian and yet to have very little knowledge of the Bible at all. Never having been exposed to its teachings about God's wrath upon sin and about the need for each person to flee individually to Jesus Christ for mercy. And so it is vital that the word of God is taught and the whole of the word of God. There are no no no-go areas in the Bible. And we need to emphasise this, it is one Bible. And we have the same God with the same characteristics in the Old and New Testaments. And so there is no concrete dividing wall between the Old and New Testaments. It's a single revelation. Now, Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing to Timothy, said this in 2 Timothy 3, verse 15... From a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, 
which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So the scriptures, including the Old Testament, give a man the knowledge whereby he might be eternally saved. Again, going on in that passage, 2 Timothy 3 verse 16, Paul declares all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. And the phrase inspired of God, given by inspiration of God in 2 Timothy 3.16, is literally in the Greek expired of God. Because every word of scripture is breathed out by God. We simply have no authority to dispute what God has declared in his holy word. And we do not have to apologise for the Bible. It is perfectly accurate. It is historically accurate. It is scientifically accurate. There is no discrepancy between what the Bible teaches and between the findings of modern science, which incidentally are always changing. There's no such thing actually as fixed science. It is interesting when we are preaching the gospel in the open air. Time and time again, people come up to us and attack the authority of the Bible. That's what they go for. Because it is our absolute authority. And so they dismiss it. Just a book written by men many centuries ago. Why should we listen to it Today, we should listen to it because it has an absolute and eternal authority. It has the power to change lives. It has the power to save sinners. And so we stand on the authority of God's word. And so, in the 16th century, when Martin Luther, in Germany, wanted to bring the church of his day back to the authority of God's word, instead of relying on the authority of the institution of the church, he had to take on and confront the whole establishment of his day and he even had to go and stand before Charles V, the Holy Roman Emperor and he made his stand on the word of God here I stand I can do no other he declared 
And so, again, when we are witnessing in the public square, people come up to us and they say, why should you try and impose your opinions on other people? And so we have to tell them, it is not our opinion. We are declaring the word of God. Homosexuality is sinful because the word of God says so. Abortion is wicked because the word of God says so. We need the attitude of the psalmist. Psalm 119 verse 11. Psalm 119 verse 11. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. And then further on in that psalm, verse 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Ignorance of the scriptures is ignorance of God. And remember what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying here in our text, verse 38 of John 5, he's saying this to religious people. Ye have not his word abiding in you. And the Lord Jesus is saying those words to all the compromised churches today who go along with the woke cultural Marxist philosophies of our time. All those churches which are compromising on same-sex marriage. The Lord Jesus Christ is saying to them, ye have not his word abiding in you. Now there is sadly the real phenomenon of those who adhere to scripture in some matters, but not in all matters. who are willing to be influenced also by the philosophies of the world as well as by God's word. And how dangerous is a mere partial adherence to the Bible. And so there will be those who say, yes, we believe what the Bible says about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but we don't believe what the Bible says about the role of women in the church. In other words, they are allowing secular philosophy to influence their attitude to the word of God. Now, in the 19th century, many professing Christians were willing to deny the literal and historical accuracy of Genesis chapters 1 to 11 in the face of the intellectual onslaught from Charles Darwin's evolutionary theories. Now, <clears throat> this is a classic example of Christians paying lip service to biblical authority, but in fact giving precedence to the prevailing humanistic philosophies. And we see exactly the same phenomenon today in the way in which so many churches have taken up the paganism, which is climate change anxiety. Worshipping Mother Earth, thinking that man has to save the planet. 
And so we must be aware of the danger of only a partial obedience to Scripture, to the Word of God, especially because of the pressure of the unbelieving world around us. Now, in the 1990s, when the General Synod had its final debate, the Synod of the Church of England, had its final debate on the ordination of women, I well remember the delegates saying, listening to a a radio report, the day they would vote, we must listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. That's what they said. And of course... Uh, they knew that the vote was going to go the way they wanted it to, to allow the ordination of women. So what they were implying was that the Holy Spirit has a different voice in different generations. They were implying that the Holy Spirit has a new message for the 21st century that it did not have in all the previous centuries. But the word of God given by the Holy Spirit stands for all time and every generation. So many churches today incorporate secular political correctness into their teaching. This makes them appear relevant and in tune with the times. They demote parts of the Bible to expressions of first century cultural preference and as therefore having no binding authority on all generations. Churches appear to be frightened of not being seen to move with the times. However, our calling as Christians is precisely to be separate from the philosophies of this world. There's a wonderful simple sentence which our Lord stated in Matthew 22, which sums all this up. Matthew 22, verse 29. Matthew 22, 29. Ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures. You have got it all wrong because you do not know the Bible. That is what the Lord said to the Sadducees, many of whom were priests and who were therefore supposed to know the Bible. But the Sadducees denied the resurrection. And here, we find the Lord telling them that the source of their error is their failure to know the Bible properly. Now, the Sadducees were really tuned in people. They were really wise to what the current Greek philosophy of their day was saying. So they denied the resurrection. But they didn't know the word of God Malachi 3.6, I, the Lord, change not. God's truth is timeless. 
And so the 21st century, with all its liberal progressiveness, has no special insights to give us. Some might argue, however, that there are parts of the Old Testament which are obviously not applicable today. Namely, the Jewish civil and ceremonial laws, such as, for example, the special dietary regulations or the imposition imposition of the death penalty for adultery. We, we, We no longer have the death penalty for adultery, as was the case in the Old Testament theocracy of Israel. Now, this fact that there are aspects of the Jewish civil and ceremonial laws which are no longer in force, this does not negate in any way the authority of the Bible. We have to make a distinction between the unique circumstances of the Old Testament theocracy, which was always meant to be temporary, and God's absolute and unchanging moral law. So yes, there was, in the transition between the Old Testament period and the New, a change in God's mode of revealing himself. Because the Old Testament was leading up to the climax of the coming of Jesus Christ. And with his coming, God's revelation was no longer confined to a a single nation. The people of God, with the coming of Christ, ceased to be a single ethnic entity possessing a physical land and a physical temple. With the coming of our Lord, the messianic spiritual kingdom of God was established. A kingdom not of this world. And which now comprises men out of every nation. So, yes, the old earthly kingdom with its earthly king and man-made temple passed away. And there passed away with it the civil and ceremonial laws relating to the Old Testament nation. But even those civil and ceremonial laws continue to be highly instructive to us. And so we continue to study them. We no longer have the death penalty for adultery, but that Old Testament theocratic law teaches us just how serious the sin of adultery is. And it's just as serious in God's sight now, today. And the point is that the moral law which we have in the Old Testament as summarised in the Ten Commandments, most definitely did not pass away and never will and stands for all time. And we have the moral teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. For example, he says, thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. But do you know where we first have that teaching? It's in the book of Leviticus. 
And so God's moral law stands for all time. Yes, the dietary regulations no longer prevail. And the world loves to use this against Christians. They love to come up to us and say, look, the Old Testament says that you shouldn't eat shellfish or wear garments made up of mixed fibres. You no longer adhere to those regulations. Therefore, you don't have to listen to what the Bible says in Leviticus 18.22 about homosexuality. The world loves to use that kind of argument, but it's a failure to distinguish between the temporary, civil, ceremonial and dietary regulations and the eternal moral law of God, which stands for all time. We are under the Ten Commandments today. This is how we must live, and the Holy Spirit produces within us a desire to keep these commandments. But even with the civil and ceremonial laws, though no longer in use, we must never think of them as in any sense wrong. The principles, as we've already intimated, enshrined in them, remain. And so, when we think about those various laws concerning the eating of certain unclean foods. The Old Testament law demanded that the Israelites should not eat of these foods. But the moral truth, symbolised by those dietary restrictions, is as absolute as ever. Namely, that the people of God must separate themselves from all the uncleanness and all the practices of the unbelieving nations around them. So that is why those dietary laws were given, to separate the Israelites from the ways of the people around them. And those dietary laws do not cease to be the word of God. They still teach us important principles. It cannot therefore be argued because Israel, as an earthly theocratic kingdom, no longer exists. Therefore, the authority of the Bible is only partial. God's revelation to us in Scripture has been progressive. The Old Testament was a necessary preparatory period for the climax of the revelation which we have in the New Testament. But what we must understand is that God's revelation is now complete. There is nothing else to be added. And if we go to the end of the New Testament, we find a curse being given on anyone who seeks to add to the complete revelation. Now, the Apostle Paul obviously experienced a fuller knowledge of God's revelation 
than did Abraham in his day. Because by Paul's day, the promised Messiah had come and had died. He had risen and ascended. So Paul's understanding of God's purposes was inevitably fuller in a certain sense than the experience of the Old Testament saints. But that does not mean that the revelation which preceded the apostolic era is now invalid and defunct. Abraham looked forward to the coming of Christ. He rejoiced to see Christ's day. And the Old Testament is the vital foundation on which the apostles subsequently built. So, with the completion of the New Testament, we now have, as it were, the finished building. There is nothing else to be added. The Old and New Testaments now form a perfect whole as the sum of all God's revelation to men for all time. There is no new revelation to come. And so the Quran, for example, is not the revelation of God. All that is left to happen in the world's history is the return of Jesus Christ. And when that happens, this world will end. So we now have in the Bible all that mankind ever needs to know. We do not need any fresh revelation. Now the Lord says here in verse 38, to the religious people of his day, ye have not his word abiding in you. For whom he hath sent him ye believe not. So our Lord, as we said, is speaking to those who profess to believe the scriptures. Yet they have not taken God's word into their hearts. And this is seen supremely in their failure to acknowledge the Messiah who has come into their midst. Whose coming had been foretold throughout the Old Testament. And so the Lord says, whom he hath sent, him ye believe not. So the Lord clearly links the rejection of himself with the rejection of the Bible. And it's interesting regarding our Muslim friends that they always say in their rejection of Jesus being the Son of God that your Bible is corrupted. They have to say that. Because if they accepted the authority of the Bible, they would have to believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God. So the Muslims go straight for the authority of the Bible. Our Lord says here in verse 39, Search the Scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. So our Lord's hearers needed to go back to the scriptures to discern 
their true meaning. And he primarily refers here, of course, to the Old Testament. And notice that he says that the Old Testament is all about him. Search the scriptures. They are they which testify of me. That is why we delight to study the Old Testament. Because it speaks of Jesus Christ. And so, the Lord's message was rejected by the religious people of his day because they did not know their own scriptures as they should have done. They did not wish to submit to their teachings. And so we need to understand that today those who reject the Bible's authority may not openly claim to be doing so. You see, those who were opposing the Lord and ignoring what the Scriptures taught did not say, we reject the Scriptures. They actually claimed to believe in them. So we have to be on our guard today. Those who reject the Bible might not openly admit to doing so. The Lord here, in verse 39 tells his hearers to go back, as it were, to the drawing board. Search the scriptures. His Jewish audience did rightly think or suppose that the scriptures contained the way to find everlasting life. So in a general way, they accepted that principle but without actually submitting to the scriptures with humble and receptive hearts. And so all the liberal, progressive, compromised churches today don't openly say we reject the authority of the Bible, but that is in effect what they are doing. The Jews of our Lord's day did not know the scriptures in their true spiritual sense as applied to their consciences. They took as much of the scriptures as appealed to or could be misapplied by their unconverted minds and no more. And so people today love to say, oh, Jesus said, judge not that ye be not judged. They miss out all the words before that and they miss out all the words after that, but they say you, you should never condemn any kind of sin because Jesus said, judge not that you be not judged. Now that's an example of the utter abuse of scripture and the failure to acknowledge its true authority. So the Lord tells his opponents to start again by searching the scriptures. They must realise that really they do not understand God's word at all. Now we read of certain Jews at a place called Berea in Acts 17. Acts 17 and verse 11. 
that the Jews at Berea received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed. So there were some who did what they had been counselled to do, to search the scriptures. The Bereans studied the scriptures with submissive hearts, desirous of finding God. And as a result, they recognised Jesus of Nazareth as the promised Messiah. That is the power of God's word. Now on the day of resurrection, as our Lord was walking along the road to Emmaus with two disciples, who at that point did not know who he was, as the risen Lord, the Lord says this to those two disciples in Luke 24 and verse 25. He says, O fools and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. So the Lord rebukes them for not knowing the Old Testament scriptures. And then he says this in verse 27 of Luke 24. Beginning from Moses, that's the book of Genesis, and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So isn't that wonderful? We can go to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and read about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Lord issues this gentle rebuke to two disciples for not properly understanding the scriptures, particularly the Old Testament scriptures, and for not gleaning from them the significance of his own death and the truth that his resurrection would follow. Now, the implication of the Lord's words in Luke 24 are clearly that the Bible is not some esoteric book whose truths can only be fathomed by the particularly learned. That's not what the Bible is. One of the great problems of the pre-Reformation period was that the Roman Catholic Church taught that only the priests should read the Bible and only the priests should interpret the Bible. And in the early 16th century and also in the 15th century, Bible-reading Christians were persecuted in this country for reading the Bible in English just down the road in Amersham. Christians reading the Bible in English, they had to go into the beech woods to meet secretly because the authorities did not want them to meet. These Christians were burned at the stake for reading the Bible in English. We must never forget these martyrs. But you see, they were ordinary people. The word of God was speaking to their hearts. They didn't need a priest. 
to tell them what they must believe. They went to the word of God themselves. And so the word of God has this glorious potential to enlighten anyone who approaches it with a humble heart. It is the Holy Spirit who causes a person to understand the truth of Scripture. And God will not withhold the Spirit's work from any genuine seeker. And in Luke 24, verse 32, after the Lord Jesus had explained the Scriptures to them, this is what the two disciples said on the Emmaus Road. They said one to another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? And that's what we pray for every time we meet today, that our hearts will burn within us as the scriptures are opened up to us. Here is the secret of true spiritual experience and that is why our new testament worship is word-centered worship we gather to hear the word of god and as the word of god is expounded the holy spirit opens up the mind and applies the truths to the heart. And so let us realise the enormous value of possessing this book, the Word of God, and how the world hates this book. The world has been trying to destroy this book for centuries. So we must Acknowledge the true authority of this book. A true Christian will believe all the Bible and its words must abide, remain, stay in his heart. We have seen that every word of scripture is breathed out by God. So no man has any authority to dispute what God has declared. There can be no partial obedience to scripture. There can be no rejection of God's word on the grounds of contemporary thinking. And so let us not be ashamed of the Bible. When they tell us there's a climate change crisis, we go to Genesis 8, verse 22, which tells us that there are going to be variations in the climate throughout time, But God will always bring to us the seasons as he always has done. Yes, there are legal and ceremonial sections of the Old Testament which are not applicable today. But these Jewish civil and ceremonial laws are prophetic of the coming of Jesus Christ. They are an essential part of God's progressive Revelation. Their prophetic symbolism has now been fulfilled, but they continue to teach us vital principles. 
the Old Testament on our Lord's own authority is all about him. It's about Jesus Christ. Both the Testaments now form a perfect whole as the sum of all God's revelation to men for all time. And the Lord Jesus Christ, we we see uh, in our text here, plainly links rejection of himself with rejection of the Bible. And so the word of God must be approached with a humble, repentant and prayerful heart. Those who opposed the Lord Jesus Christ were familiar with the scriptures, but they did not know them in their true spiritual sense as applied to their own hearts. The Lord Jesus Christ is calling upon all men today to search the scriptures, for they testify of him. There is no other way to find Jesus Christ except through the reading and hearing and preaching of what the Bible teaches. In the Bible, in the word of God, and there alone do we find the way to everlasting life. How can a man escape from hell and find the way to heaven? Search the scriptures and you will find the answer. Amen.